Well, hallelujah. Grab a Bible. Deuteronomy 8, Matthew 4. Deuteronomy 8, Matthew 4. I want to talk about a subject near and dear to my heart. I hope it, if it's not already, it will be by the time we're done. And it needs to be truly a daily thing that's on your heart. You know, I have, I have, uh, books have been a part of my life ever since I can remember. I thank God I grew up in an age where it was primarily books that you could access. You know, it was primarily, uh, there was hardly nothing on what they called television. And when I was a kid, it was black and white, you know, and people started getting addicted to it. But I thank God that I was introduced to books early on. And I can remember sneaking an extra chapter or whatever of a book, a Hardy Boys. In, in fact, <laughs> I would, at night in the wintertime up there and where it was colder and everything, get dark early. We get our chores done with the horses. I'd lay on the living room floor there and, and uh, have my chin in my hands and be reading an encyclopedia. Um, that may sound strange, but it was really a blessing. And it was, honestly, I learned a lot more than I would have watching just a bunch of little snippet videos. You know, you can, you can learn to get a bunch of little useless information or miscellaneous information, but the ability to read and to absorb is, is a blessing. And so I can remember getting under the blanket with a little flashlight and getting an extra chapter in Hardy Boys or whatever, or, you know, um, any kind of those uh, mind problem-solving books. And there's all sorts of books in this world. Of course, you have two categories primarily if you go to the library or if you go look at anything that is like a library. And what you have is you have fiction and you have what they call nonfiction. You know, and truthfully, I've always thought that was strange. I've always thought, you know, it, it's funny how the world tries to do things because the world says the non thing is truth. Are you getting this? There's fiction. Well, and then there's nonfiction. Well, wait a minute. Nonfiction is something that's supposed to be true and accurate. Fiction is fictional. In other words, it's made up. And it can have all kinds of different layers or sources of being made up. Okay, so uh, when you read things like a true biography or autobiography or a history or a science book, not the one falsely so-called, 1 Timothy 6, or you go through a math book or a language book or a travel book or a philosophy book, Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 12 says of the making of books, there is no end. And they are making books to this day. Even when they are selling them in something besides a printed form, they still call it a book. He said, further by these, my son, be admonished. Of making many books, there is no end. And much study is a weariness of the flesh. It takes effort. It takes uh, energy. It takes discipline to truly learn. Now, there's only one true book. So my subject today is the soul book. We've been doing some things for several months in uh, one of our classes that we teach, and we've been doing several for several months on soul health. Uh, we've put some online even, soul health. And today I want you to look with me at the soul book, S-O-U-L, not S-O-L-E. Now, it also is the soul book, S-O-L-E. Chambers really got it right. Chambers was blessed by the Lord. He didn't live all that long, but God preserved it through the efforts of his wife's stenographic skills, and she collated many a thing after his passing. But he got it right when he said, the man of many books is the man of one book. And he said the man of one book 
becomes a man of many books. Meaning, if you go back to the book, you can read all the other books as long as you put them in subjection to the book. Matthew chapter 4, you know the passage, many of you. It's the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord then was Jesus led up in the, of the Spirit into the wilderness. Chapter 4, verse 1. In verse 3, when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread, and he will someday. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Now this is coming after the fact of 40 days and 40 nights that he didn't eat in the wilderness. And though he was God, he was also in a human body. And he did hunger and he did thirst. Their Bible tells you that. So in spite of him appealing to that immediate physical need, he said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. You need to write down, flip over to Deuteronomy 8. He's quoting something that uh, any, any knowledgeable Jew would know. Anyone who'd been brought up around the scriptures of the Old Testament would know. And at, at that time, it was the only scriptures there were. What even called the Old Testament yet. We learned that by studying the book of Hebrews, which is obviously very much for this age. You say it's not written to it. Okay, fine. But there's so much about it for this age. You, 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 to your own demise, you dare doubt or neglect the book of Hebrews. Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy 8, verse 3. And he humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger. This is the Lord talking about. This is referring to the Lord and his people. And he humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger and fed thee with manna, which thou knewest not, neither did thy fathers know. Now watch. That he might make thee know that. So God made him hunger physically. Then he fed him with manna supernaturally. To an end. What was that end? That they may know what? That man, as in mankind, human, man, woman, boy, or girl, that man doth not live by bread only, but by every word that proceedeth, by every word, sorry, that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. Now you remember in 3 John, which we've referenced in our series on soul health, that he said to them, he said, I, I wish that, you're, that you would prosper as your soul prospers. He said, I wish you'd be in the same kind of health, a parallel health, a, a uh, you might say proportionate health to what you are when your soul prospereth. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health even as thy soul prospereth. And what if your body would only prosper as as well as you took care of your soul. I told you before, I, every time I think of the verse, just the concept of it, I think of, imagine people going into church and they're greeting everybody and they're sitting there and they're all pious and got their Bible and they bring it in and then all of a sudden they just kind of slide out of the pew and like they were poured out of the pew. Like they don't even, like Gumby, they can't even sit up. Why? Because their body's reflecting their soul's health. <laughs> he said, I wish you would prosper and be in health even as thy soul prospereth. The picture is soul health first. That's who you really are, your soul. We point out we're not dividing asunder like the Word of God can, Hebrews 4, 12 and 13. We're taking the 
force before the trees here. The soul book. There's only one true soul book. You might read something and it's a nice little quote. That's good. You might read something and it's inspirational. You might have devotional books you look at daily and different things. That's great. Fine. But my greatest concern is I see people, good Christians, practicing Christians, more and more letting that substitute for reading the Bible and processing it. In other words, literally feasting upon the Bible. Listen, I never knew what the word Bible even was or is. Uh, much less connected to my own life till I came to Christ and got the senator. Thank the Lord, He providentially put me in the path of some people that have made a great difference in my life through the book. So the Bible's many things. I mean, many, many, many things. This particular little set of thoughts I put together is about it being a soul book, the soul book side of it. Now, there's a few things about it. First of all, Psalm 68. Psalm 68. I'm going to say that this book is an offering book. It's an offering book. This book is, uh, is constantly about making offerings. For example, Psalm 68, 11 says, now watch, the Lord gave the word, great was the company of those that published it. You know what they're doing? They're putting it out. They're offering it. Published is not just with a printing press. Uh, in your Bible, for example, it lets you know it defines it in your AV, 1611, your King James Bible. When they published something, they might have gone out and set it as a town crier would or set it as a messenger would. It's to publish. It's to make public. It's to put out there. When you take Genesis chapter 2 and 3, what is it open with? It opens with offerings, sacrifices. God sacrifices for Adam and Eve. You know, without instruction regarding offerings and sacrifice, we would be left to superstition. We would be left to our old nature. And we would be left with however the old enemy of God, the counterfeiter of God, could influence us. So it starts off as an offering book. When they would take and, and pass the Word of God on, they were passing on all the different things. Over in 2 Kings 23, the king commanded all the people, verse 21, saying, Keep the Passover, okay? Unto the Lord your God, as it is written in the book of this covenant, surely there was not holding such a Passover from the days of the judges that judge Israel, nor in all the days of the kings of Israel, nor of the kings of Judah, but in the 18th year of King Josiah, wherein this Passover is holding to the Lord in Jerusalem. It's an offering book. You know, <coughs> without the book, <coughs> we'd be very, very, uh, we could be deceived, for example. Uh, without the book, we could just have all kind of weird things going on when it comes to sacrifices and stuff, because that's how human nature is. But with the book, we find out. I mean, look, it could even be dangerous for some people if it was done without the book. Now, the Old Testament's full of detailed sacrifices and offerings. And there are some... I mean, think about this. The heathen sacrifice and offer. Okay? The heathen do. And so, because the heathen do... You know they got it as a counterfeit from God. In Genesis 22, to demonstrate his allegiance, obedience, submission, God told Abraham, go up on a mountain with his son Isaac. 
The Lord didn't have him go through it, but as far as Abraham was, Abraham had already gone through it, but he expected God to raise that boy up and bring him back down the mountain. God tells us what to offer, when to offer it, how, even who to offer it with and to. Look, when Joseph and Mary had the Lord Jesus, had their baby, they had to bring something that was the offering for poor people because they did not have the offering that would qualify for her purifying after having had that male child that opened the womb. She, would, she didn't have it. So because the Lord had written in His book, in the soul book, see the soul book is a soul book because it teaches us how to relate to God. It teaches us how to come before the Lord. You know, they, had, they offered a pair of turtle doves and two young pigeons. Why? Because if you go back in your Bible, that was the offering for someone who was poor. So, when we think about that, it relates to our soul because we know, we know by instinct we need a cleansing. We know by instinct that both offenses by us and to us have got to be dealt with. We know that or they lead to all kind of trouble. In Genesis chapter 4, when God accepted the offering of Abel, and he didn't accept the offering of Cain, Cain lost it. Cain demonstrates what a person will do if you cross their religion, if they're bought into that religion. I mean, here we are in uh, October, end of October, 2023. It should not surprise us of what's going on in our world and in the Middle East right now. You know, the, the wildest thing is, if you read the Old Testament and you read the instructions of what the children of Israel were expected to do when they went into the Promised Land and conquered it, you understand that this has been going on a long time. Do we pray for the peace of Jerusalem? Absolutely. Are we, do we get saddened by all the loss and all the suffering? Absolutely. But why is the Lord dealing with the people of Israel? What is He trying to get them to do to receive Him, to receive Him as, as His Son as Messiah and as Savior? The Lord doesn't care whether His people are acknowledged by the world. He doesn't care. And if we're not careful, we think that it's about acknowledging them and acknowledging them. Oh, we stand with them and all that. But it, it's not about acknowledging them. It's about them acknowledging the Lord and such should it be for us as believers to stay in a day that's prophesied to be full of apostasy it's an offering book you know when you begin to read the offering book you find out in the New Testament what he's after it's written in both testaments you find after he's after your will is what he wants you to give to him he wants you to actively give it he the Lord doesn't want you to say here's my will make me do something Lord that's blasphemy. He wants you to actively submit. You know, here's the difference. Uh, let's say you're sitting here beside a body of water or a pool, and you're sitting in a chair, and two fellows come along, and they say, we're going to th throw you in the pool. And you just sit there, and you let them pick it up and throw you in the chair in the pool. Kind of like who? Kind of like Jonah. Okay? So they throw him in the ocean, and a pre-prepared fish swallows him and takes him on the ride of his life and deposits him back up where God wants him to be so that he can travel on there and do his job. 
That is not active submission. Active submission is if you're standing there by that body, body of water or whatever, and someone says, look, jump in, like you're in, say, military or whatever, and you jump in. You actively do it. Actively would have been if, if instead of going the wrong direction, Jonah went the right direction and just hoofed it on down there and preached his message from God. That would be active submission. In the Bible, that submission and that act is a sacrifice. In Hebrews 13, it's sometimes a sacrifice to praise God because you're, sacri- you're praising Him, whether it's a good thing, a bad thing, a, an enjoyable thing, a, a hard thing, an easy thing. You, you, you give Him praise. And the way that He looks at it, He defines in His book. To obey is better than sacrifice. What kind of sacrifice? Human-determined sacrifice. To obey. To obey is a form of offering. To obey is a form of sacrifice with God. By Him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name. Hebrews 13 and verse 15. It's it's an offering book. Why is it so important to know the Bible? So that you know that you're offering the way the Lord wants it. He doesn't say, I want you to sacrifice as in just find some way to do the hard, do, do something hard or do something difficult or do something unhappy. He gives us guidance on it. And so much of it is directly related to just pure old-fashioned obedience. Now, it's not just an offering book. And by the way, you could take and go through your Bible, and I hope you will some, and look at these different places in your King James Bible where you find sacrifice, sacrifices, offering. You'll find there's many things that God counts that way. Second thing about this soul book is it's an outdoors book. It's an outdoors book. From the very page, if you turn over to Genesis 1, what does he describe? Does he describe making houses? No. Does he describe making cities? No. Trains, planes, buses, wagons? No. He makes creation. He makes nature. Life began outdoors, and they lived outdoors, according to Genesis 1 and 2. And I believe it like it's written. So God made the outdoors first and foremost. That's why it's a temptation, a great temptation to some, to men and women today. That's why it's a great temptation to spend so much time and be, fall in love with it, not because it represents the Lord, not because it helps us, but because it's enjoyable. It is no disputable. You can't even dispute that life had to have begun in a garden the way we love gardens and flowers and trees and, and you know, the right temperature and the right climate. That's no, that's no surprise. Life is actually dependent upon the outdoors. Oh, I know. Nowadays they're trying to, they're trying to manufacture food that ain't food. And you know God ain't in all that. God made life dependent upon the outdoors. Why? Because God lives outdoors, so to speak. God made all this. The Lord Jesus Christ said, The foxes have holes, the birds of there have, have nests, but some man hath not where to lay his head. He didn't care about a dwelling as such. And that has many, many manifold uh, 
applications and inferences. But the picture is, the outdoors is the healthiest place for the soul. You need to spend some time outdoors for your soul. It's good for the soul. Sometime, if you, it's awesome if you wake up while it's still a bit dark and go out and just look at the stars. Or go out at night before you go to bed, look at the stars. Look up to what God made. It's good to get some sand between your toes or grass under your feet. It's good for us. It's a good thing. And you know, when you read your Bible, the vast majority of it is an outdoors book. And if we get back to understanding that doesn't... Now listen, you're not going to know God because you go sit in a tree stand or you go hunting or fishing or hiking. Hiking's a big thing now. You know, it doesn't... We're not going to shoot or kill anything. We're just going to hiking and take photos and blah, blah, blah. Get out in nature and all. I get it. I'm just talking about, in general, stay in touch with it. Stay in touch with the outdoors. Why? Well, because things... Life has to grow. Life isn't actually come in a can or a package. Uh, the meat you buy, the fish you buy, it doesn't actually come in those packages. <laughs> it comes from an animal. And that animal might be a fish or it might be a you know, cow or whatever. Some people have probably eaten horse and didn't know it. Uh, some people have eaten kangaroo and didn't know it until they found out that some restaurant had been buying it and putting it off as beef. So what? Outdoors. 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 Why? Because it reminds you of what God does. See, life is about living things. You live in a mechanical, electrical, okay, structural, especially if you live in any kind of city. You live in that environment. And that's why you got to get outside. And understand that to understand your Bible well, you got to become acquainted with the outdoors. Uh, the old timers who preached best were able to illustrate from nature. Those nowadays who preach best, they can illustrate from nature. And by reading your Bible every day, you come in contact with it, and then you look around and you see it out there. You see it in the birds, you see it in the animals, you see it in plants, you see it in trees. See, it's not that we see God in those things. We don't think those are manifestations of God. They're manifestations from God. They're lessons from God. Now the third thing then is this. The Bible is an orderly book. It's orderly. You know, fiction is made up. If you look up the word fiction in, like say, Webster's, it's fantasy or fanciful. It's made up. Fiction is made up. And I understand there have been good allegories and stories you might have remembered and, you know, lessons and all that kind of stuff. But the, the Bible is an orderly book because it's not fiction. It's real. Now, somebody may say something that's quoted in the Bible. The Bible may quote somebody and they had it wrong, but the Bible hasn't quoted for that. Think about this thought, okay? Psalm 144, 9. I will sing a new song unto thee, O God. Upon a psaltery, upon an instrument of ten strings, will I sing praises unto thee. You say, well, you're just talking about singing. <laughs> Do you know how much order is absolutely necessary in decent music? There's a lot of music that is disorder. I'll give you that. And there's a lot of music that's crept into Christianity that's just 
over and over chanting some one or two phrases over and over. But there's a lot of good historically Christian music, but real music is orderly. And you can tell when it's not orderly. You can tell by when someone gets the beat wrong on it. You can tell when someone gets hits the wrong note. You can tell if someone's hitting the right note and the right beat, but the rhythm is gone because that includes tempo. The dynamics are all those things together. It's not just tone, like the note. It's just not, not just the beat and the rhythm. It's all of it together with tempo, and it becomes the dynamics. It's orderly. He said in Psalm 90, verse 12, Teach us to number our days. You know, one of the things that help you have orderly is if you read your Bible in that manner. And you read your Bible, and it'll start helping you order your thoughts. People who are haphazard and chaotic, reading the Bible, if they really will read it, can help them in itself. There's other things to do. Ready? It's orderly. He gives you a first and great commandment and a second commandment. He tells them what to do on what days of the week. He tells them what month of the year to have feasts. He says there's a thousand years as a day and a day is a thousand years. Over and over and over, he shows us that it's an orderly book. Now, it doesn't mean you can figure everything out about him. But following the Bible will add order to your life and your soul. It order. Listen, when you wake up in the morning or even in the middle of the night and there's worries or there's dangers or there's concerns or there's burdens, whatever it might be, anticipations, God through his book can help us order the thoughts of our soul. Now, here's another one. It's, a, oh, it's an overcoming book. It's an overcoming book. From the beginning of the Bible to the end, God shows that He overcomes and His people overcome. Blessed be the Lord, my strength. This is Psalm 144, 1 and 2. Blessed be the Lord, my strength, which teacheth my hands to war and my fingers to fight. My goodness and my fortress my high tower, and my deliverer, my shield, and he in whom I trust, who subdueth my people under me. You know, when you're working on stuff, even if it's ministry, you're typing or you're writing or you're creating, uh, you've got your Bible in your hand, this is, why, this is why all that digital stuff is such a cheap counterfeit. It doesn't come close to, to handling and reading a Bible. It doesn't come close to it. You can't jot notes in the end of it. You say, well, they've got a little note thing. You can't grab five verses of Scripture, five different passages in five different places, stick a finger in there and do that, and get that stuff and be looking back and forth and get your cross-references. Nothing compares to a book, the book. It's an overcoming book. You know, from the very beginning, what did Jesus? what did God do? He promised Jesus... Genesis 3.15, and then God sacrificed His lambs for mankind. He delivers Noah. Remember that? He quenches fire for the Hebrew children, shuts the mouth of lions, all kind of things. It's an overcoming book. And the people who follow this book are overcomers. Now, Paul was an overcomer. He said, well, he, they took his head off in the end. Yeah, he overcame fear. He overcame pride. He overcame social pressure. He overcame loneliness. 
He overcame his own human desires to end up being victorious and have a crown or two or three waiting on him. God's book delivers the soul of mankind. It delivers a man, a woman, a boy, a girl. It delivers. It delivers them if they're a teenager. It delivers them if they were a, a hundred years old. Why? <laughs> it's an overcoming book. That's why when you read your Bible and you stay in it daily and you go through this passage and that passage, when you come across something, he, He's already taught your hands, your finger, your hands to war, your fingers to fight. I, I liken that, honestly, to being able to get through, flip through a verse here and flip through a verse there. I'm not talking about just physical warfare. I think it's way more than that. I believe with all my heart, it's mainly about being able to do that spiritual warfare. Well, the Bible is an offering book. That's how it helps your soul. It tells you how to offer, when to offer, and it gives you the confidence of offering. It's an outdoors book. It'll encourage you to relate to the things the way God made life, not the artificial life that you find inside and man-made. It's an orderly book. The more you read your Bible, the more orderly your thoughts and mind will become. And honestly, if you follow it, you'll, you'll do things more orderly in your own life because you know that's how we become more effective. It's an overcoming book. It'll help you overcome anything that comes your way. He always causes us to triumph in Christ. Finally, it's an out-of-this-world book. Out-of-this-world. The Bible started... Whether you can grasp it or not yet, maybe you will someday, I hope. The Bible started before the world. It's forever settled in heaven. And it was forever settled in heaven before. When you think about it, Psalm 119 is the only last verse I'll give you. 119.89 Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled where? In heaven. The Bible starts before the world. The Bible closes its written part as eternity begins. But it lives on forever. Forever. The Bible's not out of this world. You want to know what's going on outside this world? Read your Bible. You, know, you want to know what's going to go on outside of this world? And you say, well, I can't grasp all the world. How could you grasp? If you could grasp it, it wouldn't be much of a heaven. It wouldn't even be much of an eternity. Amen. You want to stay in touch with heaven? You want to stay in touch with forever? This book right here. It's an out-of-this-world book. There's just a handful of things, but I want you to think of that the Bible. When you look at your Bible, when it's sitting there in the morning, it's a soul book. It's not primarily a business book. It's not primarily a get-through ministry book. It's not primarily a motivational book for, for whatever you know, program you got going or project. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth from the mouth of God. God bless you. Amen.